0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Today, we are going to dive into Chapter 4 of Book 1, Captain Trips. But first, I want to thank everyone who has downloaded and listened to the podcast so far. I really appreciate the support, um, especially from everyone who has continued on this journey for me from episode one. Um, I understand that this is a rather large undertaking and it's going to take us a while to get through this book. But uh, so far, I'm having a lot of fun and I hope that you are, too. Today, as you can probably tell by the minute count, is uh, this episode is going to be a bit shorter than the first three. Uh, Chapter four, like chapter three, is not terribly long. um, And I really don't have a lot to ramble on about today before we pick up on the journey. Um, So you're welcome for that. And uh, so why don't we just dive right into chapter four? Um, A quick recap of last week, Uh, we checked in on the people of Arnett, Texas. Uh, More specifically, Bill Hapscomb, Vic Palfrey, and Norm Brewitt. If you remember, Norm, Vic, and Hap all woke up feeling ill, uh, passing it off as summer colds, uh, as most of us probably would. Joe Bob Brentwood, a deputy and Hap's cousin, came to see Hap and Vic at Hap's Texaco to warn them that some people from the Atlanta Plague Center would be arriving in Arnett soon. And there was the implication that they would have uh, the six men who witnessed Campion's illness uh, uh, quarantined. Joe Bob explained that the doctors and pathologists from Houston, who had examined the bodies of the Campion family, had seemed to be pretty scared by their findings, uh, calling in Atlanta shortly after. And that chapter had ended with Norm's wife, Lila, uh, starting to feel congested as she babysat Sally Hodge's three kids, one of which was already starting to cough and spit up phlegm herself. So here we are in chapter four. And this is very, very different from the first three chapters. Uh, We're introduced to a man named Starkey. And we learn fairly quickly he's a soldier uh, having attended West Point. He's won medals, advised presidents. He's been through some dark times in his life, dark moments. But this moment scares him. It reads, He was scared, so deeply scared he hardly dared admit it to himself. It was the kind of fear that could drive you mad. Starkey is watching five TV monitors, uh, and as he gets up to examine them closer, a piece of paper falls from the table uh, where he was sitting, and it reveals that the virus strain that killed Campion and his wife and daughter is a high-risk mutation with a mortality and communicability rate uh, estimated at 994 The report is top secret for obvious reasons, Um, and one of the monitors that Starkey is watching shows the California desert, and we finally get uh, the name of the weapon that the facility was working on before everyone inside perished, Project Blue. The other monitors, or at least two other monitors, uh, give us some insight into what Campion saw on his own monitors before he fled the Army base and California with his family. Two of the monitors show the physics and viral biology labs, and the viral lab is full of animals, which Starkey observes don't seem to be sleeping. And I took that as the animals are not dead, unlike the dead scientist sprawled out on the floor. And we learned that this was Dr. Eswick, who had won a Nobel uh, Peace Prize. And another monitor shows uh, another dead man with his face buried in his pea soup. And this particular imagery bothers Starkey. Uh, Imagine he thinks he thinks about this. Imagine having Someone walking up to you to tell you that you will spend eternity with your face and pea soup. And as Starkey says, it stops being funny when it starts being you, which I think is uh, a really great, great line in this chapter. And the this monitor reveals the Project Blue ca- uh, cafeteria, and there's a lot of people dead inside of it. It seems as though they've all died rather quickly, uh, some with drinks still in their hands or slumped against the ju- against the jukebox. And the clock in the cafeteria stopped when the lights went red. And the date, June thirteenth, 1990, at 2.37 in the morning and 16 seconds. For me, it's uh, pretty creepy that the dead are still inside this facility. Uh, obviously, this project had been top secret. Uh, with such a high mortality rate, it's no wonder that no one has ventured deep into the California desert yet to remove and dispose of the bodies But Project Blue has already been unleashed, thanks to Campion, and it's possible that the military is simply waiting for word from Washington as to what to do from there. Uh, Starkey is interrupted by Len Creighton. He delivers Starkey some news on the six men from Arnett, Texas. Uh, We know them as Hap and Vic and Stu and the others. And it seems as though Hap um, and the others were taken to Atlanta and put through preliminary testing to see if they picked up the strain of flu. And the results are not good. Five of them have tested uh, positive for Project Blue, or as Creighton calls it, A-prime flu. And but one, Stu Redman has been testing negative. And this might be good news, but as Creighton points out, uh, Campion was negative for 50 hours before it hit him. So um, I guess there's still kind of a wait and see with Stu. Uh, Still, this makes for a really interesting observation. And Starkey makes uh, a rather obvious and kind of funny observation himself here, uh, saying, if only Campion hadn't run, Starkey said. That was sloppy security, Lynn. Very sloppy. Uh, Sloppy, I believe, is an understatement. (laughs) And uh, yeah, you think. But Uh, granted Campion was supposed to be locked in the guard tower. um, And he just managed to escape uh, within seconds uh, to spare. So he managed to get off the base before anyone else knew what had happened. And I think the real question is, uh, could they have contained this even if Campion hadn't escaped? Uh, Who really knows? I mean, not that it matters now. What's done is done. And anyway, so Arnett has been quarantined. Uh, The town has been quarantined and they have 16 cases of the flu. Uh, The news media believes it's a case of anthrax uh, and have yet to pick up on the serious nature of the quarantine, which Starkey believes buys them some time. And it sounds like they have, um, they might have the situation in hand for about five seconds, except for one big hiccup. Joe Bob Brentwood, Hap's cousin, He was picked up and sent to Atlanta for testing, but he's also been patrolling half of East Texas uh, before then. So there's really no way to tell how many people he came into contact with. Um, And here Starkey does the math in his head. There's a 99.4 communicability rate with Project Blue which means 99.4 excess mortality, because the human body uh, couldn't produce the antibodies needed to stop a shifting antigen virus. This virus uh, mutates to fight off the antibodies and is always shifting. This means there is basically impossible for them to develop a vaccine for this, because there's no vaccine that could stop it, no vaccine that could shift with this virus to continually fight off um, the flu. Uh, this is bad news. <laughs> and uh, Starkey, the bad news actually is not, not over, because um, Creighton informed Starkey that his son-in-law, Vic Hammer, which is a great name, I think, uh, he committed suicide took a shot, a shot through the eye and he didn't leave a suicide note, but he didn't have to. He left the Project Blue specs on his desk, which was all the suicide note that they needed. And Vic, it turns out, was the head of Project Blue. And he saw what was happening, how it was escalating, and he couldn't handle it. He knew what was coming. At this point, uh, Starkey calls a general staff meeting, sends Creighton to gather everyone up, whether they're in bed or not. And after Creighton leaves. Um, we get an image of Starkey returning to staring at the monitors, more specifically the monitor showing the dead in Project Blue's cafeteria. So this is a very quick uh, chapter from King. Uh, and just like Chapter 3, it's very effective. Uh, he, we're getting introduced to the military, uh, the government involvement now. Uh, he uses Starkey and Creighton as a means to explain just how this mistake happened or could happen. And we see this through the eyes of uh, Starkey having to tell his own daughter that her husband is dead and why. He explains it like this. How is he supposed to tell Cynthia about this? I'm sorry, Cindy. Vic took a high dive into a cold bowl of soup today. Here, have a downer. You see, there was a goof. Somebody made a mistake with a box. Somebody else forgot to pull a switch that would have sealed off the base. The lag was only 40 some seconds, but it wasn't enough. The box is known in the trade as a sniffer. It's made in Portland, Oregon. Defense Department contract 164 480966. The boxes are put together in separate circuits by female technicians, and they do it that way so none of them really know what they're doing. One of them was maybe thinking about what to make for supper, and whoever was supposed to check her work was maybe thinking about trading the family car. Anyway, Cindy, the last coincidence was that a man at the number four security post and na- a man named Campion saw the numbers go red just in time to get out of the room before the door shut and mag locked. Then he got his family and ran. He drove through the main gate just four minutes before the siren started going off and we sealed the whole base. And no one started looking for him until nearly an hour later because there are no monitors and security posts. Somewhere along the line, he had to stop guarding the guardians or everyone in the world would be a goddamn turnkey, and everyone just assumed he was in there, waiting for the sniffers to sort out the clean areas from the dirty ones. So he got him some running room, and he was smart enough to use the ranch trails and lucky enough not to pick any of those where his car could get bogged down. Then someone had to make a command decision on whether or not to bring in the state police, the FBI, or both of them. And that fabled buck got passed hither, thither, and and yon. And by the time someone decided that the shop ought to handle it, this happy asshole, this happy diseased asshole, had gotten to Texas. And when they finally caught him, he wasn't running anymore because he and his wife and his baby daughter were all laid out on cooling boards in some pissant little town called Braintree, Braintree, Texas. Anyway, Cindy, what I'm trying to say is that this was a chain of coincidence on the order of winning the Irish sweepstakes, with a little incompetence thrown in for good luck, for bad luck, I mean, please excuse me, but mostly it was just a thing that happened. None of it was your man's fault, but he was the head of the project, and he saw the situa- situation start to escalate, and then, and then, of course, we know from um, earlier that Vic had killed himself, And so now that we have the military involved, uh, Starkey, um, like the pathologists and doctors, feels the same kind of fear that they felt. And based on this chapter alone, it's very clear that there's nothing they can do to contain the flu, this virus, not when it continues to spread and mutate, and not if Joe Bob Brentwood has come into contact with more people while patrolling. And that's not counting the people Campion might have talked to or come into contact with after leaving California. Uh, Surely he had to stop for gas um, to get his wife and daughter food, whether they went into a restaurant or even a drive through uh, Communicability is 99.4, uh, 99.4 excess mortality. Vic Hammer knew they were all screwed, um, whether he took his life to avoid the fallout, uh, maybe out of guilt, or just to get his inevitable death over with. We don't know. But I guess it could be any or all of those choices. We also get the first signs of immunity to the super flu, um, not only from the lab animals that seem to still be alive uh, down in the facility with all of the dead people, but Stu Redman, uh, the only one of the six men who met Campion, uh, who has yet to test positive for a prime flu. And there's the tiny reminder, yes, that Campion went 50 hours before the super flu settled in, but it feels like Stu has yet to, uh, well, it feels like Stu has to be close to that threshold uh, given the timeline based on Campion and then the next day with uh, Atlanta getting involved and then and then to now. And if Stu is immune, what does that mean for everyone else? Uh, will he be used as a guinea pig by the military to uh, figure out uh, just what inside of him is fighting off such a strong uh, virus? And another point of uh, interest is that the media has yet to catch on, which I'm I'm sure you know Starkey probably considers this considers this a blessing. If knowledge of this disaster had you know if it gets out. Of course, there's going to be widespread panic. Um, then again, you know, don't people have the right to know what could happen to take precaution? It's an interesting thought process. And I would love to hear what you guys would think about this. If, if the super flu had been unleashed um, in today's world or even 1990, would you want to know what was happening and what your chances were, no matter how slim? Um, or would you prefer to live in ignorant bliss until the sniffles caught you? Uh, Like I said, this is a short chapter, and thus a short episode. And next week, I'm very excited for Chapter 6 because, oh, nope, 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 Chapter (laughs) 5, because we get to meet Larry Underwood, a cocky young musician dealing with the fame and problems that comes with having a hit uh, song. Um, And boy, is he in for a treat, and as are we. So I just want to say another quick thank you for everyone who has continued on this journey with me uh, through The Stand And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be really awesome if you left me a rating and review on iTunes or just drop me a line at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. As always, you can find me on social media at The Circle Opens. Otherwise, M-O-O-N, that spells see you next week.